Hello everyone, I hope you're all doing very well. So we're back on the interview scene and we've got um, a chap that contacted me a while back. It's lovely to have him on. We've got Havoc86. Say hello, Havoc. Hey, how's it going, people? And he is, or he has been, a Hornet and is now a Super Hornet AME. Can you give us just a very quick um, description of what AME is, please, Havoc? Your AME is your avionics mechanical for safety equipment. So we do the O-Box, like the breathing apparatus for the pilot, the cockpit pressurization, the avionics cooling. Anything that, that has air in the aircraft, we do it. So what we've got here is a very thorough synopsis of Havoc's career, what he's been up to. And I shan't read it out because it's quite long, but if you want a snapshot and read that, there's all your information there. The Hornet is USN, USN not USAF aircraft. So I can't speak on USAF because I saw some questions where USAF, mm -hmm. we have a different mission and a different purpose. I also can't speak with some things in the Hornet because I don't know if they are classified mm -hmm. and I don't want to jeopardize my job, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I had to consult a friend of mine who is the Martin Baker rep of the East Coast that was a supervisor of mine back in 2005 time frame. Mm -hmm. So I don't know everything, and I'm not going to tell you I know everything. But what I do know, I will speak on. I was in as an AME for about, I was an AME for about, what, 12 to 14 years. But I worked in QA for the last year and a half of my career. And like I told you, I was going to CAG-5. Now a guy here, and I can speak on CAG-5 also. For your first question, no. We would never put a pilot's life in jeopardy. Our pilots are, they're, they're friends, they're family. They have a mom, they have a dad. So if the seat is out of the, if the seat goes wrong, they're going to let us know. And if we can't fix it right then and there, that jet is down. But we always have spares. There are always spares for everyone. Roger, that makes sense. So safety is the going to be your pr number one priority, presumably. Yes, yes, it is. In uh, 2010, there was a ejection seat death uh, in a typhoon. A Spanish airman uh, died. Uh, he ejected okay, but the harness on his seat failed. Hmm. And after that, there, he fell to his death. After that, they grounded the entire RAF typhoon seat uh, uh, fleet while they sorted it out. However, they did say to the RAF pilots that in the event of the necessity, you know, an emergency, they would still be expected to fly. Ah, yeah. So, so even though the seats were unsafe, uh, if Russia came over or whatever, they would still have to fly. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to bet that that seat probably came from Martin Baker. But I will tell you, I can't speak on any Spanish or any other countries seat or their way of doing things the only thing i know is how how i do things and how i work that's it let's carry on now some of these questions we may have to change on the fly to talk about navy instead of usaf but we'll see how it goes what is included in the survival pack of the ejection seat and is it the standard for all aircraft under usaf so let's just change that to usn command or uh, can it vary depending on land ops or flying over water ops? So obviously you're going to have to edit that question a bit. But okay, tell me about the survival pack because I didn't even know it was a thing. One of the questions later on is asked about how the Hornet evolved and the seat evolved. So you have a SKU-3 and SKU-10. I don't know what's in them, but I know that I 
well, I do know there is a raft in them because I've had pallets that I rejected and they came out safe. I've only lost one pallet and he never had a chance. Uh, we can discuss that later if you want to. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know exactly what's in there. I hear there's a condom in there because you can use that to keep certain items out of the water. Mm -hmm. and you, so you can take like a, a book and put it in a condom and it's, it's dry. I'll be interesting to know if anyone out there does know in the public comments, assuming you're allowed to tell us. Okay, uh, what is the time frame if you need to replace the ejection seat in a fighter in a live conflict situations? Minutes, hours, or is it more complicated? For the most part, before we even go on deployment, we know <clears throat> we know where we're going to leave. So your 728 day, which happens every two years, you check all your aircraft, you check all your seats, you make sure they're done before you even leave. So while you're on deployment, there is no pulling out because a cat went bad or because your PDRM is going bad or whatever it is. Because it's hard to order cats while you're on deployment. Out of interest, do the seat ever go wrong on a deployment? You know, and if so... Would they like kick up an error on the on an error page or something? I wouldn't say it would never go wrong because it's always a mechanical failure. But we always have a backup to everything. So while you're on a carrier, there are always little things that some people wouldn't think that were there that are still there. So like say your PDRM, oh, we didn't notice this, it went bad. There's probably one on the boat. So you could swap that in the jet and probably I say uh, ten to 30 minutes depending on who you have with you. Do you have only one standard ejection seat in the Hornet for all the models and variants or um, have the seats evolved in time like the aircraft itself? Just like the aircraft evolves, the seat evolves. So from when you got your Alpha and your Bravo Hornets, you have your SCU 5 and 6, which your 5 sits in the back, your 6 sits in the front. But if it's a single seater, then you have just the 5. And with the new Hornet, the Charlie and Delta, you have your SDU-17. So it's like SDU-17, I believe it's like a 1 slash A or a 2 slash A or 9 slash whatever it is. We just call them NACs. But there's a time delay difference between both of them. Because your back seat has to go before your front. Your, your aft seater will always go before your front. But if you only have a single seater, you want him out as fast as possible. Roger. Um, so the so the the wizzo goes before the pilot. Is there any? Do we know? Is there a reason for that, or is is that just how it is? Because if the front seat went first, it's going to burn the back seat guy. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. This is really interesting uh, timing habit because yesterday, you know, we do our kind of silly testing videos. Yesterday, we tested how low can you eject in an ejection seat? Obviously just in our simulator, I don't mean in real life. And um, and what we did is we, we slowed down the ejection process in our game so we could see the, the various rockets burning and the various time delays between the pilot and the Rio and stuff like that. We just found it very interesting. So it's a good timing that, uh, that we're doing this now and showed how advanced and smart an ejection seat was, a modern one. It depends uh, what aircraft it is and what seat it is because the SCU 5 and 6 I don't believe a 0 to 0 uh, capability mm. but for mm. SCU 17 you can be sitting on the deck not moving and you can eject and be safe Roger, Roger yeah um, uh, 
zero zero capability for anyone that's watching by the way means i believe have a, that um you can eject a when the plane is not moving b when the ground is when the plane is on the ground that's right isn't it yes zero zero capability means that you could be at zero altitude zero uh airspeed and it Roger and um, what a lot of people don't under, uh, understand is that it's only really modern seats that have that capability. A lot of people see pictures of old, well, of Cold War planes, uh, kind of going in for landings and then crashing, and, and they think, "Oh, why didn't they eject?" And it's because a lot of old ejection seats you couldn't eject when you were low, you couldn't eject when you were slow, uh, you just couldn't do it. You had to go down with the plane. Um, that's just something. Uh, to an extent, uh, I can't speak on those because I don't know much about mm. the anything outside of the Alpha through the Fox Rider Hornet. Roger. Okay, that's blast on havoc. Stand by. Um, do you have to disarm the seat and secure it prior to removing it from the cockpit in order to avoid accidents? To be honest, we don't. Even according to our publications. We don't have to. There are certain cads that have to be either loosened or removed, but the whole seat, no, we don't. Roger. So is, you just um, just unbolt it, disconnect it, and out, out she comes? There's actually only two bolts that hold the whole seat in. Wow. That's a bit worrying. <laughs> uh, okay. How much is the complete... Uh, you probably won't know this, but I'll ask anyway. How much is the complete seat set cost... And is it the price to start with and then just the cost of refitting um, them on the cycle? Um, have you got anything to add to that? I have no idea. The Navy buys it and I just install it in the jet pretty much. Right. Uh, you can go to the Martin, Martin Baker website. Maybe they'll have more info. Roger, viewers, if anyone knows the cost of these things, it would be generally interesting. I know the cost of obviously a private buyer is going to be significantly uh, different from a Navy cost, but I just think it would be interesting to know. I wouldn't have a clue where to guess. Um, okay, do you need to wear a protective gear for removing the explosives that are propelling the seat when the pilot is ejecting? The explosives we use, uh, be honest, no, there is no equipment we wear. Uh, if it, we're on aircraft, we're a cranial in case we fall, but that's just in case we fall. But once the, the seat is out and it's in the shop and we're de-arming, you can do it in underwear and a t-shirt. <laughs> okay, that's cool. I guess it's all, we talk about explosives and stuff. I guess it's all kind of, they're in sealed units and I, I guess, if you know what I mean. So They are, they come from uh, India. Roger. I, I used to, it's a different thing, uh, like a miniature version. I used to take uh, 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 cars uh, to pieces and modern cars are full of full of explosives. You wouldn't think it, but they are. There are eight to ten different explosives on them. Uh, some of them quite powerful in the form of airbags and um, and tensioners on seatbelts and stuff. And um, uh, I used to take them off and, yeah, but if, if, getting them to actually explode by accident is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, have you, out of interest, have you had ever had any of those explosives go off, those rockets go off? Not you personally, but have heard of any rockets going off? Uh, I heard one went off in the shop, uh, the work center before I got there, and I told them I would have dropped the turret. Or I, <laughs> I don't know how much I can say because yeah. I, I speak a lot of four-letter words, mm -hmm. and I've been struggling this whole time. So That's okay. We don't care. We, we say the F word and the S word all the time, so... 
I would have shit myself, tell you the truth. <laughs> Swear, yeah, swearing like a sailor, that's what we say. We like that. Okay, very good. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, is the seat just scrap metal after an ejection, or can it be recovered and refurbed? Okay, so one of the people I had to talk to, she's a Martin Baker rep for the East Coast. I call her Mama Jen. She was my supervisor back in 2005. Uh, I had to make sure because I've never seen a seat eject and then be reused. So she said, no, there are one time. Roger, I mean, that does make complete sense because anything could, you know, it could be damaged in so many ways, couldn't it? Bent and whatnot. So, yeah, makes sense. You want to hear something crazy? Send. You want to know the reason for the ejection? Yep. Cap, I found very... How old are you? Have a... Take a guess. Uh, not a clue, have it. A spot to sit. <laughs> is that right? Yep, that's what his, his initial purpose is a place to sit. <laughs> so <laughs> we just take our secondary purpose really... Okay, cool. Uh, Artie, what were you saying? Yeah, I found uh, various costings for Martin Baker ejection seats. Um, anywhere, depending on the model and how many you're buying and such, between 140k and 420k per unit. In uh, 2007, uh, the US Navy bought 172 or ordered 172 Martin Baker rejection seats for FA-18E, 18F Super Hornets and EA-18G Growlers. And they were coming out at about 232k a unit. So they're a quarter of a million dollars, those Havoc. Goodness! More, more than a Ferrari. Don't drop them. For God's sake, don't drop them. I did not know that. Goodness gracious. Oh, but good. <laughs> wow, that's ama that really is amazing, isn't it? I didn't think, I honestly wouldn't thought there'd be that much. I guess there's more to it than you think. I guess there's a lot more tech in there than you think, right? Yeah, the order for 172 seats was 39.7 million. Sorry, that's dollars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, US dollars in 2007. Yeah. They've gone up since then, I expect. Mm. I'm about to start making seats. <laughs> yeah, we're in the wrong friggin' business, aren't we? Jesus. All right, guys. Very good. Um, let's push on. If you have watched the uh, if you have watched behind enemy lines movie, and interestingly, we just did a video on that, and it had a really interesting ejection sequence, probably completely bollocks, but interesting. We can recall a spinning disk drive on the seat uh, that they were trying to destroy. Oh, I remember that. Is this a real thing from the past? And what kind of info was stored in those seats? Strange. Uh, hang on, just a second. Strange that the pilot is separated from the seat in the air. And that discs just lands with the empty seat somewhere, perhaps in the wrong hands. So what he's saying is there was kind of like a, a kind of old school kind of computer hard drive on the seat, which contains valuable information, uh, which worked with the movie plot. Is there such thing on those seats or was that purely just Hollywood? I actually typed this question out because I watched your video <laughs> behind enemy lines mm -hmm. yesterday, actually. Mm -hmm. Good video, by the way. But no, there is no disc on the seat. And I, uh, what that type was, like Cap's good video show, a lot was done just for movie effects. Mm -hmm. The only thing we have uh, either in a crash or an ejection is a DFIRS, which stands for uh, Deployable Flight Information Recording System. Or you got the CFIRS, which is a captive, captive Flight Information Recording System. But regardless, it's just a yellow box. And all it shows is 
uh, what your altitude was, what happened, what your switchology was, and so on and so forth. So it can tell you exactly what the aircraft was doing before the crash. The black box. Roger. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Okay, very good. So, okay, no funny hard drives of um, uh, mass graves and stuff. Fine, that's okay. Uh, next question is, wait for it. Uh, okay. How many pounds of explosive? I think explosive might be the wrong word. I mean, it's rocket fuel, isn't it? These are rockets, not explosives. No, no, explosive. Okay. Are strapped to the seat, and is it solid propellant always or liquid? Any idea? Uh, seven, was it 7.6 pounds, I believe it is? Wow. Because it, uh, wow. we have to, we, we're only allotted so many pounds and at one time. And it turns out because uh, the net explosive weight of the whole hangar. So if you got five squadrons, you could have 500 pounds. Each squadron gets 100 pounds. Say, so we can only have so many seats de-armed and sitting in the shop. I say, but it's 7.6. I say, so it's, it's, so it's like handling bombs. I remember we had a bomb expert, an A-10 bomb expert, and he said you can only put so many much explosives in a certain area in case something happened so you've got the same you've got the same problem exactly mm, it's probably for your benefit they asked, they asked us a few months ago they said well why do you always lock your door i said because we don't want y'all coming in here they said what if something happens i was like send a helicopter you come get us from the hole in the roof <laughs> yeah right very good okay um what is the life expectancy of the seat pyro uh cartridges so explosives belts springs and so on is it time uh, is it time frame or flight hours that are clocked to the aircraft what we usually do is every two years for like uh lat belts and the leg leg guarders and stuff like that but it depends if every cat that's on that seat has a different shelf life open life or whatever it is so what we like to do is as soon as you open it you install it so you don't have to calculate differences or anything like that. so yeah usually yeah. Uh, about two years but it's anything from two years but you get sfdc kits that are in an aircraft that might last like 12 to 15 years somewhere around there roger so i guess it's a bit like servicing a car you know every year you take it to its service and then whether the bits that they change, need changing or not, doesn't matter. They just change it, right? It, it, it's it's like having a car that has to be serviced. Like two people have a car, they got to be serviced every 5,000 miles. But one dude puts 5,000 miles every five years, but one dude's put 15,000 miles in a year. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. That makes sense. Okay, um, let's push on. When you remove the explosives, do they dispose of them or check them out and use them again? Again, it goes back to the shelf life or the open life of the explosive. It depends. Well, every time, every 728 days, we remove everything, look at it, and make sure it's good, make sure it's good for another two years, and then we'll put it back in the seat if it is. But if it won't be, then we have to send it back to India Head, and we don't know what they do with them. Roger. Okay. So you send them off, and okay, you don't know what happens. That's fine. Um, okay, standby. Uh, what is the pressure setting on the Hornet when in flight? I don't know what that means. Uh, is it constant RO? Is it automatically adjusted? Oh, so what are we talking about here? The pressure setting. Does anyone know? Probably means inside uh, the, the cockpit. 
Okay. Okay. Is it okay? Let me carry on. Is it constant? Is it automatically adjusted in flight or by the pilot? I might feel better flying uh, on sea level pressure, and Cat might feel better uh, above sea level pressure. How do you take that havoc, and how do you answer that? We are. We have two valves in the aircraft that regulate air pressure. We call one the CPR, which is a cabin pressure regulator, and the other one is a cabin safety valve. So. Up until about 8,000 feet, it was it's going to stay wide open. So whatever pressure air actually is up until 8,000 feet, it's going to be that. After Between 8,000 feet all the way up to, I believe it's 23,500 feet, it's going to regulate to be about to be at 8,000 feet. So once you go to 23,500 all the way up, it's, it's going to stay a, a certain pressure below that to keep the pallet safe. Roger. And is that all automatic? It is automatic. The valve, sh it does, does, ah, I'm sorry. Okay. The valve does do that, and we have tests for it. And it's actually become a real big thing in the Navy within the last five, I'm sorry, five to six years. Roger. Okay. That's interesting. Right. That answers the question. Uh, next. Is the pressure in the cabin a result of engine bleed air or onboard compressor system? There is no onboard compressor system for anything that has air in that aircraft aside from old bugs, and that's just everything comes from bleed air pretty much. Right. Uh, I can explain old bugs right. later on if you want. Yes, uh, we'll, we'll get that later on there. So, do you mean literally there's a pipe coming from the compressed part of the engine and going to the cockpit, you know, in basic terms? Uh, basic not, terms. not straight to the cockpit, but we do take all of our air off of the seventh stage of the compressor section off the motor. Very interesting. Okay, excellent. Uh, right, so uh, is there a backup system in case one system providing corporate pressurization is to fail, but the canopy is sealed and in normal status? The canopy is sealed, but there actually is no backup, sadly. The only, the only thing we have is the sealed I'm sorry, I'm trying to make sure my PTT is still working. Okay. The only thing we have is that CO2 canister that's in that the seat pan that you know, I asked about earlier. Uh, if the pallet realizes something, he can reach down and pull a green ring and he can still breathe, you know, fine, like nothing's wrong. But he needs to get down to about 7,000 feet, below 8,000 is pretty much. Roger. So just to revisit that, I didn't quite get that. He said there was a CO2 canister in the cockpit. In the seat pan, there. Oh right, and is that for some kind of a, is that for emergency pressurization? That's for ejection. Like pretty much, if he's at thirty thousand feet, mm -hmm. he ejects. So mm -hmm. he has, I'd uh, say, it, it depends on how hard the pilot is breathing, but maybe five minutes of air, in case he can't get down low enough. That type of thing. Roger. Okay, very good. Um, right, next, is there a air purification system in order to keep the CO2 in check? Is that going to be OBOX? Yes, I was about to say, this is where we go back to the OBOX. Okay. OBOX stands for onboard, onboard Oxygen Generation System, which mean, which pretty much means that you take air off of the motor, you pull all the uh, impurities out of it, and you send the pallet pure oxygen. Roger, but... Uh, what do you know? What stage you're taking? Are you taking that pre-burn from the engine? I'm presumably. Uh, seventh stage of the compressor session. 
And the motor we use is a F404 GE402 or a 404, depending on what aircraft. Roger. So, right. So that comes out uh, highly compressed, obviously, a massive PSI. It goes through some kind of filtering, uh, some kind of magical filtering system, and then comes in as oxygen to the pilot's mask. Uh, we, we, we have a bunch of, of valves that regulate pressure mm. all throughout mm. the system. We have uh, 13 subsystems, or well, 12 or 13 subsystems in the ECS. Very good. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, right, let's continue. I've heard the pilots are hitting 17 Gs on the ejection, or is this wrong? I have no idea exactly how many Gs they hit, but I will say this. From the time that you pull the, the handle until the time you're coming out safely is less than three. Roger. Let me just write a new question down. Uh, Okay, very good. Um, right, where do we get to? Is there a gyro on the ejection seat? And how is it working when the seat is fired? No gyro, but there is a, uh, a G lock and pull, which if the seat is moving up too fast, it's going to lock so that the PDRM or the drill gun does not fire too fast. Because there are, it, it depends on which seat it is. Roger, can you go a little more into that? You said if, if the seat was moving up too fast, why would the seat move up too fast? Uh, on an initial ejection, you got you have an underseat rocket motor that puts out 4,800 pounds of thrust in wow. 0.25 seconds. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so yeah, it sounds like an accelerometer or something. Okay, um, do you have to replace the ignition cables every time you are to service a seat? We do not have ignition cables or tubes or uh, the question is kind of, but we do have a, on the SDU-17, we have electronic sequencer and then we have cables that come off of that and we test the electronic sequencer every 728 days, so every two years. Roger. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, again, I don't know planes, but in cars, we used to have something called, well, in all cars, if you drive a car in the world right now, you'll have something called an SRS harness, which is a separate wiring harness and sequencer that goes to your airbags. And um, we can test that as well with uh, OBD or whatever. So it sounds like a complex version of that, I imagine. It is. It's, it's, it goes, yeah, it's the brain of the seat. It's like an ECU of a car, yeah. but for an ejection yeah. seat. Roger. Okay. Um, where are we? What is the force required to pull the ejection seat handle? Is it is it tough or to do so? And is there a danger you can pull it off when getting out of the cockpit? So um, not spelt very well, but what it's saying there is how have you ever pulled a handle before? And can you damage the handle? Is it hard to pull? I, I, actually, I actually understand that really well because. Okay. They tell us as AME, all of our all of our rules are written in blood. So mm -hmm. somebody's done something that wasn't with the regulations, and it died because of it. So in the hangar in Oceana, there was uh, I guess a F fourteen mechanic. So he removed the pin, and it accidentally pulled something, and it shot him up into the the ceiling Fucking with hell. the seat. But it turns out it's uh I had to talk with Mama Jen, and it's more than eight pounds of pressure because you don't want it to be really light like a hair trigger type mm -hmm, thing mm -hmm. but we have push and pull checks on all our seats 
So mm-hmm. we'll we'll have a sheet and tell us what it should be. Mm-hmm. So we'll check how much that is, and then we have our uh, the seat pan. It has two pins on it, and we'll check that also. But she said more than eight pounds. Roger. Okay, that's good. So you've really got to give it a good boom to get it going. Okay, very good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that might be why you got to hit the the thing three times. Roger. Okay. Um, yes, because you can easily you can easily press that once. Right. Is it true that a machine is folding the chute for the seat and takes a ton uh, and takes tons of pressure to recompact it? So this is putting the parachute inside the seat. Is that right? I have no idea how they pack the chutes and things. So the, we we get the shoes from uh, FRC or whoever it is. They bring them to us. We put them on the seat. That's it. But I do know. If you look at if you look at a SAU seventeen versus the SAU five or six, we call them hard pack or soft pack. The SAU five or six are a soft. So on top, we will actually have to push down the tie knot on top or to get the scissor, scissor mechanism uh, where it needs to be. But we can do it as a person. But I would bet that packing the parachute is probably a lot harder than just pushing down the flap. Yeah, um, I've never seen it in this, but I think I've seen it in a Russian jet. Uh, they have to pack them all in the back of, uh, you know, the Russian planes. And yeah, that requires a massive amount of force. To, and there's a huge spring under tons of pressure that will push it back out. Okay, guys, um, uh, where are we? Uh, is the cockpit equipment and the jet cooled? Is the, sorry, let me try again. Is the cockpit equipment and the jet cooled prior to mission and pilot getting in the aircraft, or is it not cooled? Not cooled. <laughs> I'm sorry. We don't. We don't care. It's, if it's 110 degrees outside, <laughs> you're going to go outside in 110 degrees. You're going to jump in that jet and you're going to fly. <laughs> That's all you got. Roger. So just get on with it as it is. Roger. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, what is the cooling agent? So this, so so uh, so part of your job is equipment cooling, avionics cooling. So when um, this avionics is being cooled, when the when the jet's going, do we know what the cooling agent is? Is it something uh, to cool that, and is it replaced after each flight, like the air conditioning in a car? No, we have a we have a turbine compressor system in that aircraft, and we have two heat exchangers, and what. The heat exchange to do is you take hot air. It's like uh, if you ever had a turbo car, you're in the cooler for the turbo. Ah. You pretty much get two of them. And then you have your compressor section, which just compresses the air until it gets cold enough. It's There is no agent at all in that aircraft. It's just how we treat the air that yeah. makes it cool off or heat up or whatever we need to do with it. So it's just, so it's just cool with air, a bit mechanical air. That's all it is. Yeah, we just mess with the air. There's, there are some spots where we actually need hot air, and we'll, you know, take a tube off of that and be like, oh, we need hot air over here. Mm-hmm. Run that hot air over there. Yeah, I mean, it makes complete sense because the one thing you don't want to do is add weight to the aircraft. And if you're going to add aircon systems in for this, then it's just weight on the aircraft, complexity on the aircraft. Complexity on the aircraft. Uh, we usually say lighter fighter program. There you go, you see? Right, well done. Um, right, stand by. Is the ejection sequence and the timing different for a single and two-seater Hornets? Yeah, we've already talked about that. We've heard that the Rio goes uh, out before the pilot for the obvious reasons. Anything you want to add to that? 
All right, now nah, that's about it. The back guys are always going to go before the front seat guy, but there are different ejection ejection modes. So you have one that's uh, we can solo it. So if you had a say a Delta, and there's only one guy flying it, you can set it to where when that front guy pulls, the back seat will not move. Mm-hmm. The front guy mm-hmm. is still going to leave because there's no we have no idea of telling exactly where the uh, seat's going to go if there's no weight in it. The seats are set to have so much weight in them. Mm-hmm. So there are pilots that actually have to have a waiver signed because they're too light for the seat. Ah, wow. That's interesting. Um, yeah, sorry to keep interrupting, but there's a couple of interesting things there. Yeah, again, car seats have weight sensors on them and nowadays, um, and if you are too light, you won't set the sensor off and you'll get a seatbelt warning. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and an interesting thing is, and this won't be your area, but uh, one thing I've recently learned is that when the ejection seat fires in a plane, it gives a massive force on the plane because she said nearly 5,000 pounds of thrust is like a frigging, that is like a jet engine power, you know, it's powerful. And as well as pushing the pilot upwards, the equal, equal and opposite reaction, which I still can't get my head around, but apparently it's true, pushes the front of the plane down with 5,000 pounds of thrust and um, actually causes the nose of the plane to dive down. Uh, we, we were actually testing. We saw that modelled uh, yesterday when we were testing it in DCS. Uh, I found it really interesting. But, um, uh, yeah, okay. Now, I don't really understand. No, I, don't really understand. I, I would say about that, you're, you're pushing 5,000 pounds against a basic weight of a Hornet unloaded like uh Charlie Hornet unloaded, no pylons, no anything. It's about twenty four thousand five. Roger, yeah. I mean, you add in like another quarter of the weight on nearly, in terms of pound. Okay, now I don't really understand the next one, have but you're gonna have to help me out. What is the AME troubleshooter's job? Ah, so uh, one of the things I did when I was in VFA. 34 VFA 106 and VFA 94, I was an AME troubleshooter. So whenever any of these issues would happen, my job was to fix it as fast as possible. But at the same time, it was a cross train. So if you get blink codes, that's an airframing issue. I had to try to figure out, yo, what do I need to do for these blink codes? Get it fixed, get the jet up. But if I couldn't, if it got too far, I'd be like, all right, I'm calling my airframer. He was a specialist in that spot. So if it was a seat issue, oh, I got to check seat caution, sir. You know, uh, you know, safe, safe, and rearm your seat, and then safe it again. Let's run this motor up because if it hit that switch. The this and this, we'll see this and this, that, and the other. You know, we ha- we have to talk to each other all the time. But our job is a troubleshooter, period, not an AME troubleshooter. But anybody is to fix that jet to get that jet up as fast as possible. Roger. Okay, good answer. Next. Can the cooling system overcome the heating from all the systems and components to an extent uh, to an extent that the pilot is comfortable in the cockpit, or do you have the component? Com- do you have the compartment? Ah, do you have the pilots complaining all the time that it's too hot? Oh, we we get a lot of complaints about it being too hot. <laughs> <laughs> I started laughing, but but our main purpose is to cool our avionics the pilot gets whatever's left over so say the avionics needs less uh, money wise 200 bucks i got 250 bucks it's like all right so i get the avionics 200 bucks the pilot's like i need 300 <laughs> well dude you just get 50 <laughs> that's what you get that type of thing that's how the air is based off because we got to get the jet up because if the jet's up then the pilot's up that's how it is Roger, um, we interviewed a Rio of uh, Super Hornet um, 
a little while back and he's well he said the one thing he remembers is how uncomfortably hot it was in the back because there just wasn't <laughs> enough coolant to cool it down yeah. and he just sat there burning yeah. they they use it they, they'll get over it <laughs> yeah they will they will get over it um okay very good uh let's continue um how different is the legacy hornet to the super hornet from your job's point of view is it the same aircraft but with bigger alloy wheels tinted glass puff up engine or is it all changed airframe avionics system computer power um and so on or is it a different jet in a similar skin how do you from your point of view it's 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 the same as an ame it's the same stuff but in a different place mm -hmm. so if i got to change the turbine on a legacy hornet i'm going under the jet and I'm pull off panel 42 and i'm gonna rip it out if I'm on a Super Hornet, I'm going to go up top. Can't remember the panel number because I don't know Super Hornets like that. But it's the same thing, different place. The Super Hornet has a dog tooth uh, linear design. It's supposed to be smarter. So for us, whenever we had a problem with it and we didn't know what it was, we would go under the jet, we'd rip all these panels off, we'd hook up gas, and then we would turn the aircraft and we'd go to 90 CDP and then we'll see what our pressures are. But a Super Hornet, all you got to do is sit in it you start it up, you turn it, and you look at a, a DDI pretty much, and it tells you what all your pressures are. You don't you don't need any gauges, you don't need anything. It's just it's just the future of the Navy. That's the Roger. I, it's it's so much smarter. Roger. I still don't like them though. No, I was just say I I thought that was coming. Um, from your point of view personally, uh, which do you prefer, the Legacy or the new ones, and why? Because I've worked on them so long, I prefer the legacy. Because I tell people, I was like, the legacy is going to tell on itself. Whenever there's something wrong, it's going to snitch. It's, it's a snitch, pretty much. But they're, they're too smart. They're too smart. I'm sorry, I'm trying to get my PCT working. They're too smart for their own good with those Super Hornets. But I'm, I'm faster with a legacy Hornet than some people are with a Super Hornet. Roger. Yeah, um, I'll just say exactly the same thing. Not you know, not with planes, but with cars. I work. I've worked on old cars. I've my own little business. I worked on old cars. You know, twenty plus year old, and I worked on modern cars. And although exactly the same, modern cars are smart, really smart. They can almost sort of fix themselves in a way. I much prefer working on the old ones because easier to get to parts, easier tools. You just use old school tools. You don't need a whole sequence of new tools. And I just prefer it. Yeah, I just prefer it. You you just been around them longer. You know them. Yeah. Once you know them, they they tell people people that work on Super Hornets are they say they're not mechanics. They are, but they they don't know how to troubleshoot like that because mm -hmm. they didn't have to look mm -hmm. for the problems. Yep, they just get their computer out. Yeah, they tell you everything. That that the Super Hornet is smart as hell. Mm-hmm. Well, John. Okay, good answer. Uh, right, let's carry on. Uh, do you have seats on standby so you can just put in a serviced one and worry about the old one later? No. we. Whenever we get a jet for somebody, whatever seat is in there, it's that seat is actually tied to the aircraft. So I can't take a seat from one jet and put it in another one. Mm, wing is going to tell you to... Uh, excuse my words, but the wing is going to tell you fuck off if you try to... <laughs> Why is a seat tied to a certain aircraft? Because they they we track it like that. Mm. So mm. it's it's like a it's like it's not like putting a tire on a jet or a tire on a car. It's like changing your whole motor. Your whole number changes mm. once you do that. Mm. 
So the motor that was like for me, my S10, the motor that was in it is long gone. It's been done. So what I'm putting in there will never be tied to my S10. But they want to know, hey, when this happened, what was in there? Where did this come from? Who worked on it? Who did the testing checks? Who changed the cats? Who, you know, mm-hmm. is, I want to say it is, but it's not politics, if that makes sense. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, like you said, you, these things, it's not like putting a, you know, alternator on a car. You need to be completely trackable. You need to know what seat, when, in which plane, when, how many hours it's racked up, how many Gs it's pulled, so on. So it does make sense when you think about it. Yes, because we are, our whole job is to make sure our pilots are safe. Yeah, very good. Okay, let's carry on. What if the Hornet is to overshoot the deck or snap the cable and end up in the water? Is the ejection seat any good if you are already in the drink and did not uh, have the chance to punch out prior to this? Good question. I'm sure it's happened many times. Many times. Uh, they have, but I've seen I've seen videos of aircraft snapping a wire. I've never personally been on a, on a carrier. Where a jet overran that snap, I've been where they missed, or bolter is what we call it, or whatever. But as long as they don't go in the water, I would expect them to be able to eject and be safe. But in the water, I probably wouldn't. I would just pull my MOR and I'd jump out. Because we have an MOR on the seat. So you pull that, you disconnect your heart, you actually walk out. You can actually walk out the aircraft with your seat pan attached to you. Oh, really? That's interesting. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Okay, um, where do we go? Uh, why the U.S. Air Force ejected a bear? Not sure what that means. Can you tell us a bit more about this story? It sounds weird, and we've got a uh, uh, a link here. Bear shot out of. But let me go and have a quick look. I don't know what that is. Have you looked at this question? The time the Air Force shot a bear out of a B-58. And it was actually a bear actually... being shot out of a B-58. Does anyone know about this, RT? This is right up your alley. <laughs> I... No, don't know what that one is. I've got no idea. Right. I, I think that bear <laughs> used to live down the bottom of RT Street, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say... Cause the... B-58 was one of the first, I want to say it was one of the first aircraft with a, instead of it being a single seat ejection, it was a pod that came off the aircraft itself with everyone into, inside it. So they were testing the pod itself. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, bit weird why they had a bit of bear in it, but it was, I guess that's a UACF back then. Uh, by the way, that was Ito speaking there. Ito is one of, the, uh, one of GR's many success stories. He is a, um, a F-16 mechanic. And um, we interviewed him uh, a few weeks ago, and he's now joined GR as like a proper full-time member and everything. And so, uh, yeah, cool. Anyway, sorry uh, to bring you in there, Ito. Let's carry on. Uh, we'll leave the bear for now, although it was an interesting story. Right. You mentioned you were deployed on the USS Enterprise in 2006. Can you please share with us what it's like to live and work on a massive boat? And did you manage to adapt to it quickly? No, I still have it, and I got to go on the boat in a few months. So, when I was on Enterprise, I was, I'm obviously in the Navy, but I was attached to a Marine squadron. So, whenever they would go somewhere, we were, there was 11 of us, we would go out to augment the Marines. But, 
those are still some of the best friends I ever made, and I still keep up with a few of them. I'd wake up at the shop. They was like, oh, we need you up top. I go up top. I just stay there in case a pilot had issues or help him out if he did. If not, I go walk him to the cats and I'd fight him, check him, which is your the fight and checking is really important. And you're the last person to look at that aircraft. And if something happens, that's you. That's your fault. That's you're the reason why that dad is not going home to his son or his daughter or whoever it is. I'd, I'd go back downstairs, I'd wash up, and I'd go to sleep. Roger. Roger. So good memories, then. Yes, yes. Miss those people, take the truth. Roger. Okay, good answer. Uh, next. Is the ejection seat adjusted if the pilot is skinny or if they're really heavy prior to flight? No. One size fits all width-wise. But you can move it up or down uh, so many inches. Uh, I believe one seat has more adjustment than the other between the SDU 5.6 and the 17. But, nah, uh, width-wise, none. But they're pretty wide. Like, I'm 6'1", 260-something pounds, and I can sit in one of those with no... Roger. And you said you said a pilot could be too light for it to work. What What happens if a pilot was too light? Could they just not fly in it? No, they can fly. They, uh, I believe we had one of our pilots. She, I'm sorry, I'm eating also. Well, okay. uh, one of our pilots, okay. nice lady. She was fun to talk around or hang out with. She'd come down, she'll bullshit with you, but she weighed maybe 110 pounds or something. And it's like, yeah, we don't know what she's gonna do if you ever have to eject. And she said her favorite thing to do was bonding. Okay, I get it now because you said you said earlier on that the um, the seat the ejector seat might come up too fast, and I didn't understand that because there's no reason for it to come up too fast if it's got a set. No, no, no. it's not not too fast. It's once it comes up, we have a certain trajectory that mm. it needs to take, and then we it's accounted for the weight of the seat yeah. plus the weight yeah. of a 150 pound person. Mm. Yeah, right. And so that trajectory is going to be different with a really tiny person, isn't it? As opposed to a giant fatty. Yes. It's going to be different from me for somebody that's 90 pounds. Roger. Right. I get it now. Okay. That will make sense. So, okay. That's fine. Um, right. Uh, what part of the avionics tends to heat up and to what extent? Uh, radar? Radar? Uh, I was the only thing. The radar is the only thing I would say, but I'm not 100% sure. Not 100% sure. I don't know if the radar versus the uh, exit air system or you have uh, the raw gear, you got the INS, you got you got a lot of stuff that we cool. I have no idea what heats up more than anything else. I do know we get more radar hots than anything else as far as issues I've seen. Oh uh, yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question. What what overheating issues have you seen radar? And it makes sense. That's the thing with the most power, uh, electric power. So, hmm, makes sense. Okay. Um, what is the backup plan if the cooling system is to fail? I guess there is something that keeps the pilots safe by not being cooled in the cockpit. I get the feeling, by the way this is going, there's not going to be a backup. No, we don't have a backup, to tell you the truth. <laughs> um, the only backup we will have is our 
we have a, a scoop that was uh, trying to find a word. I'm sorry. A scoop that was lower down mm. for the cockpit, mm. and then we have an FCS scoop on the side. But those only cool uh, flight critical components, mm. I believe. I don't know exactly what they cool. I just got to make sure they work. Roger. And do those scoops open automatically during overheating, or is that a pilot button? Uh, the cabin scoop will open if the if you've ever seen a Hornet sitting on deck and it's off. The cabin scoop will be down because there's it has to have so much pressure for that scoop to go mm -hmm. up. The FCF uh, FCS scoop is, is not going to open unless the pilot actually open it or when you're right hand side cockpit. Oh, actually in DCS, if you look on the right hand side, there's one that says FCS EMER cool. Ah, that opens that. Roger, you know what? We've got to go and try that now in DCS. We've got to go and try because a lot of those buttons, I just don't know what they do. It'd be interesting if we pressed it and a scoop opened up. That would be interesting. <laughs> to be honest, I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> Very good. Um, okay, is it true that early ejections were punching through the canopy instead of jettisoning, jettisoning the canopy first? I can't speak on anything but the horn. I don't know anything other than that. Uh, as to tell you the truth, I joined Navy to work on the Tomcat. Ah, I joined, and two years ah, later, it was gone. And that was bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't blame But uh, between the Tomcat and the Hornet, your canopy is going to go first. It has to. But if something was to just so happen failed, yeah, the those seats, they're going to punch through that canopy. There are two rings on the SUU-17 that take 900 pounds to break, and they don't slow it down at all. Hmm. Artie, can you go and research that quickly about if we used to have breakable canopies on stuff? Your Harrier. Harrier, yeah, because yeah. it has yeah. explosive yeah. wires on it, doesn't it? Yeah. There are, has are aircraft that it did as well. There, there are aircraft that have what we call frangible canopies. And when you pull, it burns the line in the canopy so that the canopy is easier to break. Mm, okay. So in a Harrier, you go pretty much through the canopy, which is already pretty much broken at that point then. That, that's probably why you see the, those mm. lines you see running on top of the area. Mm. I, 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 don't, I don't know, but I believe they're uh, explosives. Yeah. And they don't blow up the canopy, so to speak. They just burn it. It's mm. dead cord. It shatters the canopy because the Harrier was British design. That's why it's got mm. that. Okay. I, yeah, I never really thought about it, but very good, very good. You know what we're going to have to do Enough. now? Because I've, I've lowered the bitrate cap on right. the channel to make it easier Thank for you. him to... to um, Roger, yeah. I get you. Um, send Arty. Yeah, even the Hawk had a uh, explosive canopy as I well. Remember, I remember yeah. the lines. I remember the lines. Okay, so it sounds like an English thing. Now, like I said, I've done a slow down version of a DCS F-14 ejection. Wouldn't it be interesting for me to go now go and do a slowed down Harrier uh, thing to see if the glass actually shatters. Obviously, you don't notice in a split second in the game, but that would be interesting. Okay, guys, uh, let's punch on. Um, Havoc, walk us through... You've kind of done this, but you might want to add something. Walk us through one day on the USS Enterprise from waking up and going back for R&R. &R. You've kind of answered that already, but is there anything you want to add to that? Uh, not too much, man. I... Me personally, I just like to wake up, do my job, do it well, and then go home at the end of the day. But the worst thing as an AME ever is to lose a pilot. Mm, yeah, right. Because that's your responsibility, isn't it? If once they've ejected or whatever. 
Yes. And I actually had some. Uh, you could probably jump on Google and look at 2012 BFA 106. Stand by. Let me go and get we it. Had... 2000 and what? 2012. It was, uh, I believe, April. Um, and what was. Uh, give me a couple of words to search. I got 2012. 2012. BFA 106 ejection. Uh, is it the Virginia Beach FA-18 crash? Yes. Stand by. Ooh, nasty. They both got out. Yeah. They both got out, and nobody in the apartment buildings were hurt at all. Right, okay. So they had ejected safely before the crash, right? Right before. They were about two stories up before they punched out, because they were fighting to get to the ocean so they could crash eject them. Yeah, right, okay. It was, it's amazing no one on the ground was killed. I mean, look at that picture. Uh, everybody was at work. It was probably Ooh. maybe 12th. That was aircraft 411. Mm -hmm. That was a perfect mm -hmm. launch. I remember that exact day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, these things happen, and uh, someone was looking over them, obviously, because that's amazing. Very good, okay. Very good. Um, let's continue then, guys. Uh, what are the main components of the Hornet's environmental control, and are they easy to access? Now, from what you've been speaking about, I've learned quite a lot already, but anything else you want to add and ease of access? There, there's so many parts that we don't have time to cover all Roger. the parts. Uh, our whole purpose is to take air, and you force the air to do what you want it to do for either the... I must say obogs or avionics coolant or the pressurization and then the rest of it you just like ah, I don't need this throw it over. But ease 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 of access. Uh it depends on which one you're talking about. If you're talking about the super or legacy, and then it also depends on who you're talking to. So me, the legacy the legacy hornet is so much easier to work with than the super hornet is. But to somebody else, it might be different. Modra. Yeah, I guess. You're, you're like me. You uh, uh, kind of prefer the old stuff. Um, okay. Uh, what is your plane of choice if you could just jump in and take it for a spin? I'm, I'm assuming that means any plane, not just the two Hornets. And I'm guessing you're going to say Tomcat, but I'll see what you say. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I thought you I've, might. I've been, in L, I've been in an L39 Albatross mm -hmm. a few years ago. But I don't think it compares to a Hornet. Like, the speed, the maneuverability, anything. I don't think it compares to a Hornet. But the Tomcat, I love. I have a love for a Tomcat. Yeah. I've hated the yeah. Hornet since I was in the seventh grade, so I started working on them. Yeah, you're like me. I've always hated the Hornet. That's why I call it the Wagnerman Bill. Uh, there's, there's nothing specific. I'm I know. I watch all your videos. Uh, I just find it so, I don't know, so sexless. Whereas the F-14 is just... Uh, it's big, it's inefficient, it's smoky, but it's sexy. Whereas the F-18 is just like designed to be perfect. It's got no extra fat on it. It's just not sexy um, for me. It is. It was sadly, sadly, it was just an update. You know, you know, everything, everything upgrades, and the Hornet for the job the Navy was doing, it was an upgrade from the Tomcat. My job, my job. Okay, this punch on guys. Um, uh, how do you see the USAF? Uh, let's change that to the USN. 
in 20 or 30 years time same structure less jets what kind of jets i i have no idea i have four and four and a half years and i retire but i would say maybe some 35s i know 35s are probably coming to the fleet and then i think 35 in the tomcat or 35 in the hornet you're that's going to be a monster combination Roger. 35 and Tomcat is going to be a master combination. Roger. Okay, yep, and that's, what's, that's what it's looking like. Um, how did you come to know Grim Reapers, and do you fly in DCS? Actually, I was watching you guys for about six months before I got my DCS set up, and I finally got it, and when I chose my sticks, I chose them because I heard the X-56 was a good one. It's not the, the world's best, mm -hmm. but it's great. And then I found out that you had a whole setup that mm -hmm. people could download so they can get a basic configuration of theirs. So I have an X-56, and I got rudder pedals. I got everything. But since I got here in Japan in January, and I got to get everything set up for here, mm. back at home, I was comfortable, but here I can only play for maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes, and my legs hurt. Yeah, I know that feeling. I know that feeling, Tim. I've only just, after five years, I've only just moved to Rando Pedals. But, um, yeah, okay, that's fine. Right. Right. Uh, release your button, please, uh, Havoc. You are transmitting. You are transmitting. Oh. Thank you. Uh, next, the worst part, uh, the worst part or system to work with on the Hornet the one you would rather leave until the next shift. So what do you not like working on in particular on either the Legacy or the Super Hornet? I will bet anything from A through G, even the Growlers, is probably cabin pressurization. Depending on which model it is, like the Alpha, Charlie, the Delta, uh, Alpha, Charlie, and Echo. Your cabin pressure CPR valve that I was talking about earlier are mm -hmm. pretty easy to get to. But on your two seaters, they're a pain. They're in that left hand, uh, right hand side kick pad, and it's hard to grab onto them. I'm a big person. I have to do that crap with one hand. Roger. So is that valve? What is it down by the seat? Did you say? It's uh, if you were to sit like if you sat in your car, mm -hmm. where your mm -hmm. your shifter is, mm -hmm. it's by your right knee, around under the shifter on your right knee, mm -hmm. but. Uh, it's either that or the SMD. Roger. Okay. Well, you seem to know what you're talking about there. Fine. Um, next. Have you ever had a serious heating problem reported on a Hornet to the point where we are talking about melting plastics and smoke and stuff? Anything like that? I've heard about smoke, but not melting plastics. There's a, a part in the jet that it is rubber plastic or whatever and it comes out pretty easy but not melting roger okay um a kind of similar to this similar to that have you ever had a serious prob cooling problem in the hornet where it got too cold for the pilot that's interesting <laughs> i've only had one pilot complaining about it being cold now i wouldn't tell him to shut the fuck up and <laughs> do your job <laughs> nice i like to have it that's, that's not something you hear often at all Roger. Havoc's my kind of man. Okay, very good. Uh, is there a problem with water vapors or misting inside the cockpit or instrument panels? That's an interesting one. 
Yes, it actually can be. Uh, so one of the parts is a ACS or was it ACS fed flow controller that's in the aircraft. One of the ways I used to troubleshoot it was to unplug the cannon plugs on it while the jet was turning. So one of my buddies, he was turning the aircraft, and he was shivering his ass off. And then one of the dudes ran out because we found out the jet was turning. He's like, yo, I got this. He's like, hurry the fuck up, get up there. <laughs> it was actually, it was so cold, and it was spitting water out on him. Mm-hmm. And it was probably 30 degrees outside. Roger. <laughs> wow. Okay, very good. Uh, right, I mean, because misting, uh, condensation, whatever you want to say, is, is obviously a historical problem in, in planes, as it is in cars. Um, I remember one solution uh, in the 60s, I, I don't know if it was contemporary, is that you would have on the windows, if you go and look at your MiG-15 in DCS, uh, you'd see attached to it a little tube attached to the window full of pink salt, I think it is. And that's how they would uh, it would um, uh, suck the moisture out of the window to stop it misting. Same thing, I had a ride. Um, my friend got me a ride on a Nimrod 1960s aircraft um, for fast taxiing, and the windows are all steaming up because it's an old plane, and they had these little uh, these little crystal salt things. Do you know anything about that, RT? No. No, I don't know about uh, Something for someone to research. Okay, right, so we've reached the end of the interview, Have What we're going to do now is pass it over to everyone for questions. So... Uh, can we please have the stream? You guys uh, write your questions now. Write it with a prefix question, so I know what's a question because I've got a lot of stuff to look at. Uh, then we'll, uh, before that, we'll have verbal questions from um, Discord. Before we do that, I want to ask my questions. So, um, have you ever had any maintainers like you injured um, working on AME? I guess mainly ejection seats, but any gory stories? Not that I've seen. Well, before I got to my shop, like I said, the cat went off in the shop because a guy decided to use a screwdriver to do something mm. that a screwdriver wasn't mm. called for, and I've never used a screwdriver on it. And it blew in the shop. And I told him, I said, I would have shit myself right then and there. I'm I'm not messing with y'all. I don't fuck with y'all. I ain't doing this. I would have shit myself right mm-hmm. then in the shop. I, like, I would have kicked him the hell out. But personally, uh, no. We usually... I I try to, I tend to try to be pretty safe with everything that's going on. That's because uh, life is first and your job is second. Okay, good answer. Also uh, related to that, we're talking about the seventeen G or seventeen plus G of these ejection seats. Um, pilots that have successfully ejected, ejected and lived and stuff. I don't know how many you've dealt with, but have you had any kind of um, do they get injuries, and what kind of injuries do they get from these successful inject, uh, ejections? Do you know? Uh, back at that, the when you looked up back in 2012, uh, one pilot his face was scratched up a bit, and I believe the other pilot his like ankle was twisted, and that was at maybe 40 feet out of the air. But I've had that. I've had one in Key West, or one in Key West, and I had one in El Centro. And every pilot I've had that's pulled their handle has lived. Excellent. Good. Okay, well, that's my question is done. Next, I'm going to hand it over to Discord. One at a time, please. Who wants to go first? Yep. Please. Um, so, when is there a max altitude they can safely eject? So, say, Angel's 20 or whatever. And then... Tuesday. So, then... And... I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Yes, so basically, is it what's the max altitude they can safely eject? Your max altitude for your seat is going to, uh, depends on which seat. If you get the SJU-17, your max altitude is going to be the max altitude. Of, because once you punch out, you have an electronic sequencer behind you, and you have two probes that stick out, and it tells you, it tells the sequencer how fast you're going and what your altitude is. And it will actually hold part of your ejection process until you're low enough for the parachute to safely come out and for you to safely float down. So let me... So let me get that right. So with that seat, you can eject as high as the plane can go, let's say 50,000 feet, and then you will stay attached to your seat by the sound of it until a certain altitude, let's say 10,000 feet, at which point the seat will separate, something along those lines. Uh, it's, it's higher than 10,000 feet. I believe it's 12,500, but I'm not. Roger. Very Roger. good. Okay. Uh, very good. Next question, please. Okay, you've had your chance. I'm moving on to... Oh, is that you, Artie? Yeah. Then? I've uh, just wondered, I mean, would you recommend your job, your training, the career that you've had to other people? I mean, has it been fun? It has been because of the people I've met, but the stress of... If you screw up anything, somebody dies, you, you have to have... You, you got to be headstrong to be an AME. We always say, you know, if you're an AME, you're screwed up in the head. You know, laugh and we laugh about it. But we are all screwed up. We joke around. But when it comes to arming something, we don't mess around with that. Because that's not, I'm going to go home, but it's going to be somebody's dad, somebody's mom, somebody's cousin, somebody's uncle, somebody's son that doesn't make it home. And like I said, I've only had one pilot that has ever died, and he's never had, a ch he didn't have a chance to eject. Roger. Uh, have we talked about that pilot? That... Or do you not want to talk about that pilot? Uh, Nathan Pulaski. Nathan, his uh, call sign was Danny, last name Pulaski. He was a cool pilot. Uh, he just, it turns out, from what I believe, I haven't actually read the report because I didn't want to, but he crashed into the underside of another aircraft. Ah, right, yeah, I see. Yeah, absolutely, we've had that happen plenty of times. Okay, um, fine. Um, is there anything else, Artie? No, that's great. Thanks very much. Roger, yeah. Um, and I see what you're saying, because at the end of the day, if you're working on a seat and you're laughing and you're messing around with your buddies and you miss just like one screw or one bolt or whatever, you know, whatever you work on, then that's that item defective and then that guy can't eject, right? Yes, for the most part. Well... I, I want to say that if a screw is missing, no, he's not going to eject. He might, but I'm not going to take that. Yeah, I get you. Okay. Um, anyone else in the Discord that wants to ask a question? Okay, guys, we're moving on to the stream yeah. now. Cornbread, question. Is the flat top... Uh, these might be weird questions. We'll see. Is the flat spin top cunt ejection scene that killed Goose plausible? God, don't even... That's that question. We hate that as AME. <laughs> no, that is not going to happen. Your canopy will always go backwards, and it's going to roll back to towards the back of the jet. I we hate that as AMEs. We don't even watch Top Gun anymore. Roger. Yeah, it's the same thing for us when going through my training. We ask the same question. We get yelled at as well because pretty much all canopies go backwards into the left. Right. So that's Hollywood bullshit, right? No, not, not back into the left. 
they will go straight back to towards the ass end of the jet because you have these little rockers that sit there. And these rockers allow the canopy to slide forward and back. But if you were to try to lift it straight up, you can't do that. Roger. Remember, you two work it, on different planes, yeah. Got a hornet. You're a hornet. You're, you're a hornet, man. Havoc. Ito's a, a, a viper guy, so you've probably got different systems. I bet you his probably work the same way mine. Okay. It's roughly the same, yeah. Okay, guys, let's, let's carry on. Who uh, packs the shoots in the army? We have dedicated riggers for airborne operations. Do you mean um, the pilot or the seat? So I'm going to come back to that one there. Um, uh, a, 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 I, and D for the Navy packs our, our shoots and our seats. Mitch, question. Serving on such a large carrier, did you ever get lost in it or ever, was everything logically marked up? It is marked. So you will... Everything is a circle on the carrier. You got your your three level and the, or your three deck and you got your O three 3 level. So you know your galley's on your... Three deck. So you drop down three from the hangar, boom, there you go. But if you can, re you have to read what we call bullseyes. So it'd be like, uh, my old Burton was 02, 245, tag three, whatever it was. So, you know, 02, all right, I got to go up to two levels, 245, that's 245 frames back. And so, you know, you got to go aft once you get on the carrier. And then three just tells you, oh, it's going to be on the port side. It's two freight or basically two frames to the port side or whatever. I think mine was like 02-245-0. Roger, very good. Next question from Ghost. Have you ever had any funny backs, back and forths with the pilots on a problem or fault sheets? For, for example, something loose in the cockpit, uh, engineer says something tightened in the cockpit. I don't quite get it, but does that mean anything to you, uh, Habit? Uh, wait, uh, the first part was, have you ever had any back and forth? With the pilots about a known problem or fault, yeah, on the yeah. sheets. Yes, that part, a lot. We, they, they want to fly, they want to fly. Jets down is, when the jets down, it's down. They're not going to be able to fight that. And they're going to say, I want to fly. I'm like, I don't care. It's down. <laughs> <laughs> Roger. Okay, very good. Uh, right, that's it, guys. Uh, any final comments or questions from anyone before we sign off? Uh, do you play any other games than DCS? Uh, on the computer, I only have DCS, but I have a bunch of PS4 games like uh, For Honor, uh, most of Assassin's Creed, and what's the other one? Red Dead Redemption, Final Fantasy 15. And I got like six more sitting in front of me, but I can't read the label. Hmm. Roger. Anything else, guys? Okay, guys. Well, join me in thanking uh, Havoc for coming forward. It's always good. And I know Havoc said uh, before he came on, he was quite nervous about doing this. But I think you'd all agree that he did really well, answered the questions. He was just an easy guy to interview, to be honest. Just chilled out. I, I didn't have to push him on anything. So it was really good. Any last thing you want to say, Havoc? Uh, I had, what is this, one, two, three, four, about five or six points. If, uh, we Blast away. Blast away. Like your, your show. Your show. All right, so one of the things that's really cringeworthy of an AME is how close you guys are at takeoff. If you're that close, you're going to smoke check. You, well, not real. It's a game at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter. You would smoke check your canopy. Uh, 
RWR is actually we call it Rogan. That really doesn't matter. The cockpit in DCS looks really, really realistic as far as the Legacy Hornet. I don't know about the rest of the aircraft. I've only sat in a Legacy Hornet as a turnqual person. And would you guys ever think about having an offshoot for different countries, like for the time difference thing? How do you mean have it? Explain. Explain. The time you got... Ah, I'm sorry. PTT. Uh, usually, the time you guys fly, it's about 1 p.m. Mm. in America. So most people are still at work. But there right. are some guys that would love to fly with you. I see. Yeah, now we've tried this and it ended up really badly. Well... Yeah, kind of, kind of, sort of badly. So what we did is, of course, this is a big problem. We fly in UK time, and so for the Americans, that is anywhere between kind of midday and or before midday up to kind of three p.m. where you guys are all at work. Hence, you know, we've historically had a struggle, had a problem getting guys. So what we did was we created uh, a separate um, kind of detachment to do uh, to fly Grim Reapers um, in US time. Um, but the problem is that they just ended up going their own separate way. Uh, they're called the Sluggers, and they're a big group. I'm sure they're very more popular than us because they're on American time, and haven't really had anything to do with us since. Um, and so we don't want to. So we don't want to do it again because it just wastes all our time and resources when people just go off uh, and leave us. Uh, so that's why we're not doing that again. Um, nothing against the Sluggers. I'm sure they're all very cool and stuff, and you're welcome to go and fly with them in US time, and they're easy to access. Uh, but that's why uh, I wouldn't bother doing it again. It's just too, it's just difficult. too difficult. Yeah, I, I don't blame you on that point. Because I was I was going to try to fly with you guys while I was out there. But mm. I think the time you guys fly mm. was, I think it's 1 p.m. in is. America. Yeah. And I didn't it get is. off until like yeah. 3 o'clock in the evening. Yeah. So that's the only reason why I never yeah. tried to link up and do anything else. But now I'm in Japan. I kind of want to try to. <laughs> Roger. But I got to get comfortable Roger. and I got to start training again on DCS. I haven't played DCS until since November so God. far. God, if, if I don't fly for two days, that's it. I've forgotten everything. I'm just terrible. I have to do something every day. I, I've got such a shit brain. I actually got lucky. I landed on the carrier earlier today oh, really? and I wasn't comfortable with Roger. Yeah, I know what you mean. Okay, Havoc, uh, thank you very much for coming and giving us your time and your knowledge. That's excellent. Um, if you can have a hook up with us now with your new time zone, let us know. And we're always open. And as a general point to everyone out there, we are open to fly with everyone all the time, except there is just two missions you can't join in. Uh, our Monday and our Wednesday mission, they are full members only. But everything else we do, everyone's welcome in. So uh, just remember that. Right. Have it. Thank you very much. Rest of you guys, thank you for turning up. I'm signing off, and I'll see you guys later. I'm signing off, and I'll see you guys later. Thank you, Kat. I appreciate talking to you.